0: I think it's funny because sometimes, because of my approach and communication style today, people get the impression that I'm not competitive. And I, I promise you that when it comes to showing, I am incredibly competitive. I'm really intense. And I was, I was born that way.
1: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. In this week's episode of The Ride, we sit down to talk with Caitlin Hurst, a non-pro reigning rider who uses her social media platform, The Mindful Cowgirl, to demonstrate how she works with her horses and what her Western horse life looks like. This week's episode of The Ride is brought to you by the Seen Through Horses campaign.
2: All right, welcome back to the Ride Podcast. I'm Devin, I'm here with Nicole, and we are sitting down today, uh, today to talk to Caitlin Hurst. Caitlin is a non-pro rider. She competes in reining and cow horse events, and she's built a really awesome social media following, uh, encouraging other people who are on their own horsemanship journey. So we're excited to be here with Caitlin. Thanks for being here, Caitlin.
0: Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, big fans of the podcast, Horse and Rider, obviously, and, and you personally, Devin
2: yeah thank you that's awesome uh, it's It's funny how like so many of these circles end up overlapping each other, and I just love it um yeah we're We're pumped to talk to you um Caitlin. I think that I know a lot of your story, but I feel like I don't know all of it and I'm sure a lot of people follow you on social media and and we'll get to that like where where people can find you um and follow along with your journey. but just to start off, like what is your background in horses? Did you grow up showing? did you grow up riding? what's your, what's your origin story?
0: Yeah. Um, I grew up with horses on a small ranch in California. Uh, to, de- to this day, horses is just about, they're just about the only thing that I care about and they're definitely my life's passion. It's a genetic trait passed down from my mom for sure.
1: So, uh, what was your experience like, uh, as you did grow up with the horses, were you, involved in, um, the showing aspect of it, or did you just enjoy riding and, and, trail riding or what kind of let's go into depth into what kind of brought you to where you are as a rainer right now?
0: Yeah. Um, so most of my show career has been focused on raining and rain cow horse. I've been competing since I was a kid, but it all started in that, 10 and under walk trot pleasure class. Um, and so yeah, I've been competing my entire life. We always had the horses at home. So I've always been working with them, and learning how to train them, and kind of just learning the, all the aspects of horsemanship and what it you know, what it means to care for a horse day in and day out. And you know, like I said, it, it's my life's passion It's the only thing that I ever really cared about. Some kids went to hang out with their friends after school or play sports. And I maybe did some of those things, but generally I was just trying to rush home to ride. And I think it's funny because it, it's kind of what drove me to be such a quote, good student in that, you know, eventually I figured out that if I got far enough ahead in school that I could start skipping periods. So I ended up in high school at one point, not having, you know, a fourth period and could go home and ride sooner it just meant more horse time. And so it's kind of been the driver behind anything that I've ever done.
2: Yeah, I love that because it it is kind of correlated. Like when you want to do well with horses, you have to do well in other facets of your life. So I like that it made you like a better student so that you could get home and ride. I think a lot of us could probably empathize with that too. Um, Although some of us maybe skipped our studies so we could go ride. And I don't recommend that avenue
0: (laughs) it can go it can go either way for sure um and yeah I was I mean I was a super serious kiddo I mean you're just this like tiny little squishy thing out there on a horse and but I was without a doubt one of the most serious 10 and under kids out there maybe to this day and I think it's funny because sometimes because of my approach and communication style today people get the impression that I'm not competitive and I I promise you that when it comes to showing, I am incredibly competitive. I'm really intense. And I was I was born that way. I mean, I can remember showing as a ten and under actually on my one of my horse's grandmother's. And she's this big, beautiful buckskin mare, and she was more of like a roping foundation red horse, really great looking mare. Judges loved her, but she wasn't, you know, the hot thing of the day out there in the pleasure class. I remember the zips, chocolate chips were really hot at the time and those kinds of bloodlines. So we were always kind of the underdog in that regard. And there's this one time where I was showing and I'm being my serious self and this mare hated donkeys and mules. It's just the smell of them. And I'm coming around the end and there's a donkey down there and it starts braying and I can feel her start to get tense and I'm talking to her and I'm telling her it's okay and I'm focusing and I'm looking over at the judge, glancing at the judge. And I swear, as I come around that corner and that donkey brays, that judge happened to turn away from me. And in that moment, this mare kind of buckled underneath me and went to bolt and I, it was a little chaotic. I'm sure it was a little bucking going on. I got her stopped got her all situated, got and put her back in her trot as fast as I could. And I, at the minute I got myself back together and got her organized was when that judge turned around and we won that class. And I tell you, people were mad. But it's one of those stories and that mare in particular that stick with me today and I think kind of shape how I think about showing and riding and all of those things
1: you mentioned doing a lot of the riding yourself as a kid. Um, did you have any outside help Were you, were you working with different horse trainers or were you kind of a true do it yourself or just trying to figure it out as you went?
0: I was really fortunate to have parents that invested a lot of time and money into my fashion. Um, so we had access to a few different pretty quality trainers throughout my childhood and spent a lot of time going and taking lessons And, but occasionally a horse would go into training, maybe if they needed something tuned up, something like that. But 90% of the time they were at home. So we'd go take lessons, pick up a new skill, add a uh, tool to our toolbox, as we like to say. And then I'd go home and workshop that and really learn how to apply it. And that's really still what I, what I do to this day.
2: I mean, you sound like a student in every aspect of your life, pretty much, which is cool.
0: I get hyper-focused on things.
2: <laughs> and that's a note to all our listeners, too. Go out and have a conversation with your horse that if they're going to have a meltdown, um, do it when the judge is not looking. So that's, that's the key.
0: <laughs> a thousand percent. If only we could tell them that. I think, too, the lesson that stuck with me from that or that I learned that day is when you're showing, leave. if you make a mistake, leave it behind you. You know, Never give up. Keep showing. And I could have easily said, well, this is over, right? And given up and I would have gotten last and, or something, but that's so true to this day. You don't know what the judge sees. Sometimes things feel bigger than they are. Sometimes you make up for the points later, go out, show your horse and be present in the moment. If you make a mistake, it's, it's already in the past. It already happened. Keep going. You never know.
2: That's such great advice. So you've been a pretty serious competitor, uh, your whole life. It sounds like, um, when did you kind of start to advance your show career as you got older? Did, I mean, did it just naturally advance or did you like find that one horse that really helped you, you know, take, help take you to the top as you, you know, got into your teen years and twenties?
0: Yeah, I, I had a couple of horses through my teens into early adulthood and, you know, we just really tried to make the most out of what we had. We weren't people that got new horses all the time, upgraded if I outgrew that horse. Um, you know, my first youth horse, or my, not my first youth horse, my first reigning horse as a youth, after we got him, his name is Peppy. still retired on my ranch, he's just the most adorable thing, but we quickly realized after getting him that he was pretty much, he was about done with his show career, both physically, but really mentally. And so that horse was really one where I had to learn how to make the most out of what I had within that day and make sure that my mind was in the right place. I was ready to go show because, you know, he maxed out at a certain level and that's all he had. I wasn't going to get a lot more out of him. So it was about making sure that I got a clean pattern and didn't make any mistakes and hope that you crossed your feet. You know, you hope that you picked up a couple plus halves here and there and maybe did okay and then when we decided to retire him you know for his own good I did get another horse who I showed him both the reining and the cow horse and we had a lot of success I was really fortunate to have that horse sometimes I look back at my videos and I'm like man that horse really took care of me um but at the same time he wasn't an easy horse to show so it was a lot of hard work and you know eventually I had a couple of good wins. Um, and the cow horse, I made the finals on him a couple of times at the world show. Um, and then, you know, he retired on my parents' ranch as well. So it was kind of a natural evolving thing. And I would say actually now to d- today, I'm probably much less active, um, in my show career than I've, I've ever been. So, you know, it, it really depends at this, you know, at this point, I really just try to adapt to the horses that I have. And, um, I do hope one day soon to get a big high powered show horse and go out and do some really cool stuff. Um, but for now, that's just kind of not the the gamut of horses that I have.
1: Let's kind of talk about that little transition. Um, because you have a social media accounts called the Mount mindful cowgirl. Um, and you, Tend to showcase uh, how you're riding horses, different projects you're working on, different, um, you know, experiences you're having helping these horses, some of their backgrounds, some of the problems that you've encountered and how you've gone about fixing them. Um, And it seems like you've really kind of transitioned your focus into being more mindful regarding your horses and your riding and not so much on just like the end result of being in the show pen. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that journey?
0: Yeah. So my mindset today is, is ever changing. And I would say, you know, the biggest catalyst or biggest moment in my life that really changed how I think about working with my horses is was a few years ago with my gelding Joe, my infamous Joe. He's kind of the centerpiece of my social media. So if you've watched anything on there, you've seen him. And we bred him, raised him, and I, around his three-year-old year, he started to exhibit behavioral problems, and he started to get pretty violent and act out, rearing, fucking. Um, there was this one ride, I remember, where he, he grabbed the bit, he, he took off, and he, like, body slammed my leg into the wall. It was the craziest thing it's much harder when a horse is having behavioral issues and they're super athletic, just for the record. Um, But it was this moment of what is happening with this horse. And I was working with pretty traditional reining trainers at the time and was surrounded by kind of a lot of just, you know, that's how we all grow up for the most part. Right. So there was just a lot of voices around me that were saying he's, evil, he has an attitude, he's not going to make it something's wrong with him. He's, you know, not rideable, get rid of him, all these crazy things. And one, it's not in my nature, you know, my, I keep my animals for life, for the most part. Um, And so the idea of getting rid of him just wasn't on the table, frankly. And then it just came down to figuring out what was going on in his brain. And I knew in my gut that this horse wasn't evil. And it just took me a while to kind of figure out really what was going on, um, both in sources in, of pain, but also in how to approach him. And this is where my, when I tell this story, it gets maybe a little woo-hoo-y, but ultimately at that period of time, I came to the realization that my horse was angry because I was angry. I wasn't in a good place. I was kind of angry with the world, and I was taking that with me, and it it changed the way that I cared for him, how I made decisions, and how I interacted with him on a daily basis. And when I started to address my own well-being and my own emotional mindset, that's when everything started to change.
2: And I I mean, I definitely believe that. Like they are kind of a mirror to us and they reflect back what we are and who we are and how we feel. Um and I think a lot of people can probably just see that in their day-to-day riding. You know, if you're in a bad mood and you go to the barn and you get on your horse, like you might be looking for a fight and you might cause a fight that didn't have to happen. So I, I think that there's a lot to that. So is that kind of what took you in the direction of um, mindfulness and practicing mindfulness within your writing or where did where did that piece come in and how like what does that mean to you to be a mindful writer
0: yeah so it's been a slow progression and today what I consider to be mindful writer is ever-changing um, but at that moment in time when I was just trying to figure out how to ride this horse without dying I started to apply the principles that I use when I show So making sure that I'm hyper-focused, I'm present in the moment. And so when I would go to ride him, I would drive two hours out of the Bay Area to the ranch that he was at, and then I would sit in my car for 20 to 30 minutes, and I would meditate. And I would not leave my car until I felt like I was relaxed and present, and I'd left anything and everything else behind me. And... That gave me an immediate change in my rides and how the horse was interacting with me. We still had behavioral problems under saddle, but that was the pivotal moment because when I was handling him and and taking care of him on the ground, he went from this horse that was snapping at me, lunging at me, generally pinning his ears to a horse that was ears up, forward, excited to see me, wanted to be around me. And then any issues we had started to get isolated to specific parts of the ride, and I was able to dissect more what was going on and know that, okay, there's, there's something wrong here. It's not my horse's attitude. He's not evil. Look how sweet and kind he is otherwise. So there's something else to address.
1: So um, for those who aren't necessarily familiar with uh, your social media and maybe a little bit more about what it is that you do when you are riding, can you kind of describe your methods and your horsemanship and, and kind of what goes into a daily ride for you?
0: Yeah, well, today it's much different than uh, it has been even in, in recent years. So when I started my, my journey with Joe – It was really step-by-step every day. So I'd pull him out of the stall and take account of where his mind was at that day. And then we'd do the next step. We'd go to the round pen, and I'd push him around, keep it low pressure, and really gauge how he was. And I I just took it step-by-step. And if he was not in a good place, in a willing place, in a happy place, we just wouldn't move past that step. And what that allowed me to do is always kind of troubleshoot different barriers and then also build trust with him. And so that kind of mindset is something that I take into my rides every day is I don't go out and break my horse's trust. You know, occasionally it happens on accident. Nobody's perfect, but I really go out and I try to make sure that every ride is a positive experience. And I think that just compounds over time and it makes a huge difference. Um, and then today I am able to apply that much more strategically because I've studied the more horse psychology and I've studied counter conditioning and, you know, proper desensit- desensitization techniques um, and then have in the last year started implementing positive reinforcement. So when I get on, you know, it's that series of steps of, okay, we're going to see where we're at today are we both ready to work on the thing that I wanted to work on or do we need to pivot? And then just kind of going from there.
2: Yeah, that's cool. And so I'm I'm assuming that you also are like a big believer in end every ride on a good note, right?
0: I am a big believer in, in ending every ride on a good note. Um, but that said, I think when people have problem horses or they're struggling to get through something or, or maybe they, you know, caused a fight that they didn't mean to cause that one of the biggest struggles is to overcome this idea of having to win the fight. I, that is something that I, I will die on this hill. We don't need to win the fight. I truly believe that the horses don't think they're getting away with something. So if I am in a, in a tough spot and things are going downhill and I don't really see a good way out of it then I, I will just get off. And, and sometimes I'll try to you know take a walk if I can, but sometimes you are just to, too far past the point or I'm too worked up and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm just going to get off and we're just going to try again tomorrow. And that makes a huge difference.
1: One in four people experience mental health issues each year. This spring, you can help support mental health awareness and support nonprofit organizations changing lives through horses by joining the second annual Seen Through Horses campaign. Join us May 1st through 31st, 2023 during Mental Health Awareness Month for the Seen Through Horses campaign, and together we can make a much-needed difference for mental health globally. To learn more, visit horsesformentalhealth.org. So you've mentioned a little bit about your horse, Joe, um, and that you kind of initially had one idea with him and now you've kind of transitioned your riding to, to fit his, um, you know, athletic ability and, and what you've gone through, but can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what your journey has been with him? I know you mentioned that he's had to have surgery and that it kind of changed everything about what you were doing.
0: Yeah. So after I had that realization around his three-year-old year year that we needed to make a big change. Um, He wasn't training at the time. I pulled him from training and actually sent him to a rehab facility to swim for a little bit and just kind of stay in shape and not have to do any training while I figured out, okay, what am I, what am I going to do with this? And long story short of that period of time, I was living and working in the Bay area, which was not conducive to having a horse with me. And I decided that that was a requirement for this horse. I had had gone and sought advice from a lot of trainers. I had gone out and gotten help. Some of them had made progress with them personally and it didn't apply back to me. And I decided, okay, this is a me and him thing. And we're gonna need to be together every day. And because of that and a few other things, my husband and I moved to Texas And I was able to bring him home with me. And that's really where we were able to start getting into it. And I think one of the key points there is at one point, I decided or accepted the possibility that I may never ride this horse. And I found peace with that. And what that really did is it eliminated my expectations for him and allowed me to move at his pace because I wasn't trying to get him anywhere in particular. And so, you know, I didn't ride him for nine months. All we did was groundwork. That's where I started playing with liberty skills, because I need something to work at and get good at. So I figured if I couldn't ride him, then well, we'll try liberty and do something else. And that's kind of how that journey started. And then eventually, I was able to get on him. And then the biggest struggle we had was at his Lope and getting him to move forward and be free. And that took probably another nine months. So I worked with him really slowly, just chipping away at it um, and using desensitization methods. So at, at the Lope, for example, I spent months there basically trotting him out, getting him to carry himself forward, you know, moving his hip, clearing his shoulders. And eventually he would just pick up the Lope without me asking. And at first it was one stride and then he would freak out and we'd go back to his comfort zone at a trot. Right. And then we'd push him back up and he'd pick it up and then it was two strides and then it was three. And then we got a whole circle and just kind of exposing him to that and then bringing him back to his comfort zone and showing him like, Hey, nothing bad is going to happen here. And that's kind of what I mean by learning proper desensitization techniques, because a lot of the times I think we push our horses too far And the goal is to expose them to that trigger and that stimulus, but not cause trauma and then back them down. And I just call it bumping out the line. We're just going to bump out this stress line and keep bumping it out. And so that's what we did for years and years. And I had still been working with vets all throughout that time, exploring other options. And then at one point, somebody threw out the word kissing spine. And I had honestly never heard of it up until a few years ago, and the thousands of dollars and countless vets and countless trainers and people that I talked to, not a single person looked at his back or asked me, about, or it never even came up, which I just think is so interesting. Um, And then once somebody mentioned it to me, it's like, I couldn't escape it. It was, it was everywhere. I was hearing it in podcasts. I was hearing it in conversations. I was seeing it in videos. And I said, okay, we're going to, we're just going to go check this out because I had gone so far with him and he was almost ready to be a show horse but we had a couple of sticking points primarily in the spin where I could tell something was going on still because he'd be willing and giving me 100% everywhere else and we'd hit this one part and he'd flip his head or go to rear and have a little meltdown um and so I just hauled him in we took some quick handheld x-rays and it that was enough sure enough there we are we found it, and we, uh, we took no time to move forward with his treatment plan. Now, I'll say asterisk there. Generally, there's a lot of steps to go through to evaluate those horses, determine how much pain it's coming from. A lot of horses, about 30%, they think, have kissing spine, but a lot of them carry it quite well, and some, some of them it doesn't bother them at all. I knew already, because we had been so, through so much, that this was his last remaining hurdle. And we had kind of already gone through inadvertently all the tests. We had injected things and done all the, we cleared all the sound of his hands. We cleared all the other behavioral problems. And so I was able to isolate it to this one thing. And that's why we were able to move forward so quickly and aggressively with his treatment.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting journey. And I think a lot of people uh, don't know a whole lot about kissing spine or on the opposite spectrum, there's people that have had to battle that themselves with their horses. And that's, that's a tough one. Um, so this was in Texas that you were training on him and going through this. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when you went to Texas, did you, um, like link up with any trainers that really, resonated with you? Their training practices really resonated with you? Are you working with anybody down there? Uh, what, what did that change look like for you when you, when you moved? I mean, I know you did a lot of the training with him there and that's where he went through his kissing spine journey, but what else changed in Texas?
0: A lot of things changed. You know, I'm in the, the heart of horse country here, especially raining country. Um, but one big thing was when I first brought him out. When we were trying to find a house, he was boarded at a dressage barn for a while. And the, the owner and the head trainer became a really close friend of mine. And she helped me with a lot of basic things that I was missing. We're rainers. We don't learn certain things like how to sit a trot, for example. So I know how to sit a trot now but I learned that from dressage riders and just a lot of those foundational aspects, but it also exposed me to a a nice group of people who were just enjoying their horses. And so it kind of relieved the pressure there. And so I got this mix at that point in time of, you know, classical kind of dressage, getting correctness, you being correct and just kind of having fun with your horse. And it gave me a lot of freedom to just follow that journey. And you know, as I mentioned, I'm always going out and trying to learn from trainers. So I've been able to take lessons from a lot of different people and kind of learn and take what works for me and what works for my horse. And one person that's really stood out in this part, um, is Bud Lyon. So he's actually on horse and riders on demand videos. Um, he's been on the podcast. He's, um, obviously super successful in the ranch riding and the reining, and is a top tier coach. What was really important for me in working with a trainer more often is that I need somebody I can communicate with. You know, I, especially with Joe, but all of my horses tend to be projects. I'm attracted to it for some reason and they need special approaches. So I need to be able to say to that trainer, like, Hey, I don't think that particular way is going to work with this horse or I've tried that. We need to, we need to think of a different Avenue. And I was able to communicate very directly with bud like that. And he took me seriously at a time where I didn't have a big fancy show horse I hadn't shown in years, my first lesson, my horse had this meltdown buck and kicked and threw me around. And I think s- scared him for me a little bit um, but it, he, he was really instrumental in building up my confidence of, okay, I'm not an insane person and there's some good that I'm doing here. Um, and really for me, that kind of ties into my opinion on, I think trainers in general is that as amateurs or as non professionals or anybody looking for help. There's times when you need a horse trainer and there's times when you need a coach and uh, not everybody can be all the things. Some people are particularly talented and maybe they're a fantastic horse trainer and they're a fantastic coach, but that's rare. And so for me at this moment, I really needed somebody who was going to help build up my confidence and coach me as a rider and coach me as a showman and help me refine the work that I was already doing with my horse. And um, Bud served as an amazing coach in that way. And then since then, I've been kind of bebopping around to various trainers and and getting help on the horse training aspect (laughs) as well.
1: That's awesome. No, Bud is um, an incredible coach, and that's one of the reasons that we were so attracted to him when we decided to come out with our video platform just because yeah he is he's so wonderful to work with and he's so well-spoken and and he really does have a knack for for speaking to non-pros which I think some trainers you know they're they're phenomenal open riders but sometimes they they're not able to translate that into non-pro lingo um so he's you know super talented in in that aspect uh you mentioned that you're really big on projects project horses, continuously learning what other horses are you working with in your your little at home program and and what kind of projects are you kind of doing
0: yeah, so um after I had some success on Joe, we got uh reserve and then and third in the level three at the world show um, I really transitioned to just kind of enjoying my time with him, showing for fun. We did go to the Run for Million one year, but I've decided that I'm not going to keep pushing him. Uh, He's a great horse now. He feels good health, you know, body-wise. And so um, I've taken on other projects, and I have two with me right now. One is a gelding who is six this year, and I did buy him as a project. He was basically an unstarted four-year-old he had been started under saddle and kind of in the round pin and the way you get on and you hold the horn and you just go around um but didn't really have any buttons on him and he was meant to be a project in the way that okay i'm gonna figure out how to start an older horse and it's it's gonna teach me a lot of things you know i'm a i'm a trial by fire person now i want to fail hard learn fast so that i bought him for that and he's turned into a. Project in various other ways that I didn't didn't expect. So he's been Really instrumental in my next step and then the other horse that I have with me now. I brought her uh, Over here last spring is sassy a mare who's actually a full sister to Joe and she has a uh, sadly and eerily a very similar almost exactly the same story um, and I just brought her home from her kissing spine operation about two weeks ago.
1: That's insane. I did not realize that this horse also had the kissing spine issue. So you're kind of a pro at uh, these surgeries and rehabbing them and kind of bringing them back. And
0: <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying really hard not to be the poster child for kissing spine horses and particularly kissing spine operations I don't want the story to become like oh you you know sums up you're the horse's back go straight to surgery because that's certainly not the way um but it's been really um special to take everything that I've learned from Joe and help his sister and she just like him is just the loveliest of horses um and you know when I get her to a better place uh it's just it one of those things where it's full circle you know when you go when you're going through something tough and you're trying to understand like why am i going through this when i brought her over here it was this moment of okay this is this is why so i could help this horse
2: and you do have a lot of valuable knowledge and information to share to people and you do that on social media Um, and you, you've grown like a really positive community on your social media channels. I mean, I know for me, I kind of fell into it. It wasn't intentional for me to ever like grow a following. How was that for you? Did you set out on that journey or were you just like, oh, people are enjoying hearing about this and whoops, I accidentally grew a social media following.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was more like that. It was largely uh, my social media following was largely on accident. Um, I, I am a marketing professional by trade. So I can't say that when I changed my Instagram handle and, and picked a certain name and positioned things a certain way, I don't apply, you know, my marketing knowledge to that because why not? But I certainly didn't have ambitions to become a content creator or an influencer and certainly not, uh, an online horse trainer. Um, but Really where it grew was when TikTok became a thing. And that part was very much on accident. So I, I joined TikTok as a marketing professional to learn the platform. I, I like to understand the ins and outs of anything I do from marketing perspective. Um, I'm in a strategic leadership position now. So while I do some tactical stuff, a lot of that doesn't fall on me, but I like to understand it. and So I got on and I started playing with it And the first thing that happened was I recognized that I was afraid to post videos of myself. And I have this rule that short of putting my life in danger, if I'm scared to do something, I have to do it. So I decided that I was going to make videos and post them until I wasn't scared of doing it anymore. And just over time, yeah, the people on TikTok, the content resonated with them, people who had similar stories, people who wanted some support. Uh, It just kind of happened organically. And it's been really, a really great journey. And I just have so much gratitude for the community that I've built.
1: It's a really just from an outsider's perspective. I'm not a TikTok creator, and um, my TikToks would be very boring, and I don't think anybody would want to watch them. But uh, as somebody who frequents the app and sees both of you guys show up on my page organically, um, it's really cool to see everybody's horse journeys and how different yet similar they are. You know, Caitlin, I really resonated with you because I'm also a non-pro who keeps their horse at home and has to do a lot of it herself, and. And yeah, there are times where things don't go to plan. And um, it's nice to know that there are other people out there that are also rehabbing their horses from surgery because mine just had colic surgery a week ago and it's been a hot mess. And um, (laughs) here I am rambling, (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's nice to know there are other non-pros who have gone through that and it's definitely made me reevaluate everything that I was doing. And um, so I could even relate even more after talking to you.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry about your horse. I hope they're doing better.
1: (laughs) Um, We're still in the ICU. So (laughs) to be determined,
0: (laughs) sending you positive vibes. (laughs) I, I think that's a big part of it. And that, that was a lot of where I initially started and some of it was imposter syndrome and just trying to stay away from too much horse training Tactics in the beginning, but I knew that I could help people because of my experience and everything I had studied about not only horse behavior, but you know, human psychology as well. That I could really help a lot of these people because a lot of us, most of us, are really just trying to enjoy our horses. And whether there's an aspect of showing to that or not, um, I think we're all after the same thing. Most of us aren't doing this to make money. Um, even, I think even the people that do right and struggle to make money at it. Um, it's a life's passion. And so with that kind of mindset, I think most of us, or a lot of the time, the horse training aspect is overcomplicated. And that's not to say that Training an upper level horse isn't extremely complicated, but generally working with your horse, improving with your horse, building a partnership, making them more reliable, I think is something that most of us can do at home as long as we approach it with the mindset of, I'm not always right, leaving my ego at the door, I'm going to watch what's happening here, and I'm going to problem solve. I may not know the answer today, but I'm going to avoid a fight and go find the answer and come back. And I think a lot can be accomplished in doing that. And it's really fulfilling. So I I love kind of sharing that belief system with so many people.
2: I agree. It is fulfilling and it's, it's cool to like build that community and see everybody's response and um, side note. Yeah. For everyone listening, please send your best vibes to Nicole and her horse Kira. This has been crazy. If you've had a horse go through colic surgery, you know what she's going through. And the fact that she's here just is unbelievable. She's amazing. Um, but Caitlin, what, what do you, what, what kind of advice do you have? Like just a simplified piece of advice for someone going through their own journey. Maybe they have a problem horse. Maybe they're trying to bond with their horse and build a stronger connection. What is just something really like simple and basic you can tell them to encourage them on their journey?
0: Yeah. Um, Well, I think it kind of goes back to how I think about mindfulness. And all that really means is you're doing the work to be self-aware when you're interacting with your horse or when you're riding your horse. And by that, I mean, You're leaving the stressors of the day behind you. You're leaving preconceived notions behind and you're meeting that horse where they are in that present moment. And you're able to have that separation from those outside influences and maybe some internal influences to make decisions. That that's how you're making decisions. Uh, I'm aware of where I'm at. I'm aware of where my horse is at. And that's going to inform what we do next. And that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes, but it means I can acknowledge my mistakes and I can repair them later. And it means that if we go out and show, we go do something in public and around other people that if we bomb and we fail, that it's, that's okay. And to me, that's my biggest piece of advice is just keep working on that and just try to find ways to trigger your mind to become self-aware. And there's a lot of tactics that I often recommend to people to kind of build up to that. Um, and so for whatever goals you have that will compound over time and and you will be successful because it, it will pay off.
1: I love that. And I hope, um, a lot of our listeners who keep their horses at home and do it themselves, which is a majority of our listeners can, you know, take that advice and, and use it and apply it the next time they go to their barn. Um, So before we let you go, can you share with people your social media handles where they can follow you for maybe our listeners who weren't familiar with you before this podcast, but now want to check out all the cool things that you're doing?
0: Yeah. So on basically every platform, but primarily Instagram and TikTok, you can find me at the mindful cowgirl. Um, I have a website as well. And you can reach out to me there. You can shoot me a message. If the platforms allow, I try to keep my messages open and I do check them. I might be slow to respond, but I check them. Um, and you can also uh, listen to my podcast called "Finding the Field." So I have two seasons um, that have been out, but I am in the process of relaunching it. Um, it's going to be called Cowgirl Edition, and this time around, I'm going to be focused on trying to elevate the female change makers in the horse industry. And women who are approaching horses from a, dis- a different perspective than we may see every day.
2: That's exciting. I'm looking forward to listening to that. So, all right, that's where you can check her out, folks. And Caitlin, we're so glad that you came on and chatted with us. What an incredible journey you have. I- I'm excited to watch where you go next with Joe and Sassy. Is that her name, Sassy? Yeah sounds fitting (laughs) uh, fingers crossed for no more kissing spine surgeries in your future
0: (laughs) no more unless I keep seeking out these horses but I'm gonna I'm gonna try try not to and yeah to watch watch for us in the show pen or watch follow us on social media and see what we're gonna be doing because we have we have some cool plans
1: well thank you so much for for coming on here and talking with us
0: yeah thanks Nicole thanks Devin
1: Once again, we'd like to thank the Seen Through Horses campaign for sponsoring this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning into The Ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse & Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at rider at network.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.